Welcome, welcome to Education Lanes. Education, education, education. Expand, expand your options. Welcome to the show. This is another fabulous episode of Education Lanes with your host, Targan Way Jones. And I told you, I promised you that we were going to be talking about middle school. As we know, we're in the month of August. There are those who have started school, those who are waiting to go to school. And for my homeschoolers, non-schoolers, you're schooling all the time. So let's talk about our middle schoolers this month. Let's find out what's going on in that world so you parents can be what? Better advocates for your children and also know what's behind the curtain. What should we look out for this school year? Let's dive into it. I have a fabulous guest for you today, Mr. Jason DeRay. He is an assistant principal uh, here in Hillsborough County at one of our middle schools, and he's going to be talking to us to let us know how can we get our children to do better, be better, act better, and what us as parents should be paying attention for and looking out for. Mr. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Awesome, awesome. So are you ready for this interview? I am. <laughs> I think I am. <laughs> you think you are? Well... In your position as an assistant principal, um, what can you tell us as far as in education? What's going on today? What What's the state of middle schools today? Well, so I'm going to speak particularly to the school that I work at. Um, right now, the state of it is it's a Title I school, so it's a very high-need school. A lot of our students in our area have come with a lot of baggage. What do I mean by baggage? So they have a lot of issues at home that we necessarily cannot control at the school. One example that I can give you is um, when I first came to Hillsborough, um, I was actually inside the classroom for about a month before I got promoted. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Well, you know, I came down from Georgia. I was uh, four years up there as an assistant principal at the elementary level. So for that one month that I actually enjoyed a lot because it was fun to come back down to my roots in the middle school level, the type of baggage that I'm talking about is a student wrote, of, of, I was teaching them how to write, first of all, a five-paragraph essay mm -hmm. on their own history. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we talked about how history is written, how it's selected. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they wrote about is how they found a dead body in their attic and they didn't even know it, that wow. it was up there. And they had just moved into this house. And, I mean, this is a trauma for, you know, any, I, I think for anybody, anybody at any age, exactly. but especially for somebody out of middle school, because uh, that happened to that child when she was just starting the sixth grade. Wow. And so, you know, and, and of course you have the divorced parents or parents that just um, uh, fell into drugs. Uh, of course, socioeconomic status is always the key issue at any Title I school. So there's a lot of baggage um, with these students coming in, and when you get these type of students from the neighborhood school, then, of course, they bring that with them. Then the key becomes for teachers and administrators and everybody inside the school, how are we going to help these kids learn? Beyond school. Beyond school. How are we going to, because we can help them so much with, we can provide clothing because we do have a little bit uh, of clothing that's donated by the community. So if that's the case, we could do that. We can help them with resources where, if possible, they need to get food, mm -hmm. um, social worker, uh, would um, take care of that. So we have people and resources in place to help them with their needs, but that's outside of the school. So when you're inside of the school, you know, you're only focused on 
what you don't have, mm-hmm. which is a scarcity. And in some of these cases, these students, their scarcity might be love mm-hmm. because they come from broken homes. Their scarcity might be not just food or money, uh, social, uh, just socializing. Mm-hmm. They might not have friends because you know, they might be a little awkward socially mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be. And so you take all these factors and variables and you put them all in one school yeah. and this is what you get. Wow. Wow. So I want to touch on that. When you have um, children coming from all different backgrounds, environments, situations into um, a Title I school, we know there's many Title I schools around the nation, but when they come in particular to a school where you're an administrator, what do you find is the number one focus? Um, Because, I mean, of course, food, of course, clothing, but what is the number one thing that you think kind of across the board that all you and your staff really need to, like, hone in on? Caring for the kids. I mean, how do you care for a student that comes into your school with all these issues and you have to teach them the standards that the state says you, that are mandated by the state, so you have to teach them and they have to learn these standards. Mm-hmm. There's no right or wrong way and there's no one single answer. Right. That's the number one thing. They're coming into your school. You can certainly take care of all those variables, but how how do you care? And I mean, care is not just teaching them, but actually like talking out with their problems with limited time. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, I, I make it sound like we have a lot of resources, and we do, but they're limited when you look at the bigger scope. We're a school that's almost 1,100 kids. Wow. You know, and uh, what, 80, about 80 Five eighty-six percent of them are on free or reduced lunch. Wow! And the other thirteen or fourteen percent are almost, you know, they just barely didn't make the free right, or reduced right. lunch, you know, status, if you will. Right. How do you, you know, so that's the number one thing. How do you care for them? How do you educate them with with all the issues that they come with? Wow. So, I guess if you. Another way, I guess, to look at it, if you have teachers who are only limited in what they can do in conjunction with what um, standards they have to achieve, I can see how that would be so frustrating or difficult from the administrative side. And what what I mean by that is, for example, you know, a, a teacher has a fine line of what they can do in the case of trying to give these kids love or attention or just the, the whole um, feeling comfort. Mm-hmm. So if a teacher says, sees this child that they know just has a feeling, they've never been hugged, and they want to go and hug that child, then they have to think in the back of their head, kind of like, wait a minute, can I touch this child? Because there's all the rules and, I mean, regulations on that. What, how does that factor in? I mean... We have to tell our teachers to, um, if the student comes up to them and the student gives the teacher a hug, well, that's okay. You're just going to do a side hug. Right, right. You know, and you always want to make sure that you got other students around you and or adults. Right. And so that's okay. So we try to encourage them to, yes, be, you know, um, be loving to the kids, care for the kids. A high five also suffice. Right. Not the same thing as a hug. As right. We, you know, <laughs> according to research, hug. right. you know, it really 
releases all these endorphins yeah, and you get the yeah. hug. So we know about that. Um, so we just tell the teachers they just need to be careful. Obviously, you don't want to hug a student, even if they're having a moment when you're alone. Right. And of course, if it's a female student, a male student, well, you right, know. Right. Yeah. Um, use so discretion. Use very, yes. And, and we always say high, uh, side hugs are okay. And I, you know, even in Georgia, when I was in Georgia, we would say with the little ones, but with the little, even if they're in kindle, you can't help but, you know. Right. Because it's I remember di- that. Right, because, and it's different. <laughs> and it's different. But we, I always told my teachers, just be careful. Make sure you always have some kids around you as witnesses. You know, always keep that back ahead. And, um, and our adults. So this is a question. I'm going to get a little raw. And I want to know your opinion on this. So with the news, we've seen many times where teachers kind of get in the hot water with doing things that are inappropriate. Um, what's your thought on, from a Title I perspective, I mean, as far as a school, is it something where you think maybe a teacher would try to take advantage because they're in an environment like that? Do you think it's kind of like just that teacher just doesn't have good judgment? Or what do you think in those situations, being that kids are searching out for that? You know, I, I don't understand... I cannot comprehend, use any adjective that it's just mind blowing mm-hmm. that a teacher would do that with any kid, um, regardless of the age, mm-hmm. um, because there's that fine line that there's a, a teacher and a student relationship. Right. And I think that to directly answer your question, I think these people are just sick in the head Yeah. and they've, they don't have good judgment. I don't know, uh, you know, a pedophile obviously sees who who sees a child as somebody that they can have a relationship they obviously have some mental health issues right you know we talk about how mental health issues and other topics that i'm not going to get into right now (laughs) but that is a mental health issue because how can you see a 13 or a 14 year old whether it's a boy or a girl and thinking that it's okay to cross that line yeah so they're they're sick in the head so i'm going to get a little raw here and say yeah and unfortunately there's no way of screening. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that would be what parents yeah, would want to know. Yeah, there's you know? no, not, at least not that I know of in the two states and like the six counties that I've worked at, there's no way to screen, you know, to see if these people are going to be appropriate or inappropriate. You know, there's no, there's, so there's no way of saying, you know, we screen this person. I don't think they're going to be a fit because they have pedophilic, you know, yeah, uh, tendencies or anything like that. Wow. Well, I, I, you know, just like all these things happening in the world, just because you don't have a background on paper doesn't mean that you're not crazy. Right. And I mean, they do. It, we all go through a background check. Yeah. But yeah. the background check, as you know, is, you know, they you go, you go pee in a cup, make sure that you're not on any drugs. Right. Right. And, um, you know, if there's any any history like such of a, as, as a type of arrest and if there was an arrest, well, what kind was it? I mean, we're not going to penalize either people just because they have one mistake or two in their past. Absolutely. Um, you know, we had a teacher that, you know, got arrested for speeding. Like, really? Um, yeah. speed? No, we are not going to do that. It right. turned out that was a great teacher. Um, so, you know, so little things like that. Now, I'm not saying speed and get arrested. Right. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that you, you have to look at all those variables, too. But there's no one instrument. There's no one question or questions, for that matter, that... I don't even know that would even be legal to ask right. and say, hey, so how would you approach this child in a situation, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. It's a fine line. 
in all different angles, but um, and, and mind you, even if you had that one instrument, whatever, that would actually be. And, and these are conversations that I think that do need to take place, but that would be very awkward too. Yeah, you know that you have to sit there. I mean, that would. I don't think that that would be the place of an assistant principal or principal for that matter to ask those travel questions that would be something that maybe human resources need to look at and screen them better if you will and i'm not trying to throw um you know human resources under the bus or anything but i think that when you have these national cases or even the local cases where the teacher had inappropriate relationship with the child the county needs to do a better job of you know screening them in the yeah. online because everything's online on the online application or when they go in to get processed that maybe have some kind of a little room where they go with a psychologist to ask them x amount of questions i think that would be a, a solution i think to maybe a problem i don't know right right but i i can only imagine all that they would see is dollar signs of another test that would cost more money of course then we'll have to take it from the schools right. and then we're already you know behind the power curve and what can and can't be done so right. um yeah but you're absolutely right. If you're working with children, it, there has to be double, triple, quadruple layers on what needs to be done because I guarantee you if something happens in that school, it's national news mm -hmm. as to when we're trying to get them in, oh, we don't have the money, mm -hmm. you know? Right. So that, yeah. we'll leave so, the so, so, you know, you say that and it's, I always, my question is always, well, if it's, you know, is it the safety of the child that's going to come for, is that the interest of the child or is it the interest of the money? Which and which one's going to be, you can't have both. And right. if you can't have both, please come see me because I like to pick your brain. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. So, okay, in the schools, um, middle school in general, I have a, a child who has just started middle school this year, and already she's coming home with the stories on just the drama for your mama that's going on, and I'm like, it's two weeks in, are you kidding me? This is crazy. So, um, what can we as parents do to help our children to avoid or not get sucked in, you know, to that to the, the some people just seek drama. Mm -hmm. Some people just they don't know any better because they ha weren't brought up to have, you know, a different way of thinking or how to handle different situations. So us as parents who are sitting in the background are like, "Hey, you don't need to be a part of that. You can only say so much. You can only do so much. And if you don't have the tools, what do you suggest from your level that we could do to help parents?" Always talk to your child every day. Um, and you don't have to always ask them the same question because that will get boring. Well, right. how was your day? No. Good. Yeah, good. Right. Yeah. That's what they, so you already know. Um, but just talk to them. So how was your math class? Hey, you told me the other day you had some issues with some girl or whatever. Whatever happened with that. And have those. Here's the key. The key is you as a parent need to go back and remember how middle school was for you and the things that you did. Right. And if you can, because I certainly remember my middle school <laughs> I days. remember mine too. So if you can remember <laughs> all the drama that went with it and how you handle it and what the adults, which you may not remember everything they told you, but there's always going to be certain adults that you're going to remember from your middle school days and, you know, how, how to manage those situations. So if you can remember that, that's how the parents should proceed. But you got to remember how it felt. You got to remember the, the, the times that you might have gotten into some kind of a conflict mm -hmm. or whatever issues you might have had. Um, and now as an adult, 
you know that you know better uh, use use uh, the the wisdom <laughs> that you have acquired through those years <laughs> I like that to better serve and to better you know advocate for a child and, and here's another thing it's great that parents advocate for a child whether people want to believe it or not we need that and we want that but what what discourages teachers administrators and people is when you have that one parent that advocates for a child but believe everything that they say and what I would say to those parents is that's great that you advocate but you can't believe everything I'm sorry your, right. your child is not an angel you got to look at both sides of the story and what I have found out throughout the years is that the parents first respond, well, well, they don't do that at home. Well, at home, they're not surrounded by 20 or 25 other kids for that matter. Right. The environment is very different. Your environment at home is what you control and what you allow and what you condone. But outside of that, since they are growing and they are learning, you as a parent should know better to believe everything that they say. So if somebody comes home, and I'm going to give you a specific case that I dealt with recently. If somebody comes home and say, well, you know, Mr. DeRay was mean because he took my phone uh, because, you know, of X, Y, and Z reasons. Yeah, I took his phone, I gave it back to the parent, and I said, please make sure that you either take the phone away, or if he wants to bring the phone, we can have the phone being checked in with the secretary. He could get it at the end of the day. That way he doesn't get in trouble. I mean, this student in this particular case that I'm giving you, he was getting in trouble because he was using the phone inappropriately. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's inappropriately in, uh, in an adult way, if you catch my drift, mm -hmm. or he was just one of those that wanted to record fights. Mm -hmm. And so we can't have that. And so what happened, and, and this is where I say, you know, you got to remember, go back to your middle school days and, you know, use that wisdom and even common sense. Common sense. Um, the, the parent, and this is an extreme case, the parent... So he was checking in his phone for a month. No issues. It was great. Mm -hmm. And then one day something happened. He brought the phone and I called the parent and she's like, well, I spoke to your secretaries and uh, they said that it was okay to bring the phone. But I told him, but we had a deal. He had to check in the phone all the way to the end of the school year. Yeah. Now he got in trouble again because he used the phone. Parent admitted, well, you know what? What I don't understand is, is that all this time, the whole month that he didn't have supposedly the phone, he was actually checking in a dummy phone. What? He was checking in a dummy. So what is a parent teaching that child? Now you're going against it. You're Come trying to, on, you're, man. You're, 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 yes. You're teaching your child to lie and cheat, to game the system. You're teaching everything that we're actually supposed to teach a child not to do. Right. And so I don't know where that parent went to middle school or if that was her middle school days. But I give you that example on what not to do. Right. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, that to me, and I still, I tell you that story and it infuriates me. Yeah. Because that child, by the way, that unfortunately he failed. Um, because the other part to that is, is that he's addicted to the phone. He cannot get away from the phone. Oh, and we're going to talk about these phones. Yeah, he admitted to, you know, having his phone and he cannot let go of his phone. So I'm, I'm not a doctor. And I've never played one on TV, but he he's addicted to that phone because, yeah. you know, you can just go online and you can re 
research? You know, yeah, yeah. What are the symptoms of addiction? And he clearly exhibits those. Wow. You know, these phones, I think middle school, um, I can only imagine for you. I can't wait to hear your response. These phones are a monster for these middle school kids. Now, when I used to um, sub at the schools, high schools and middle schools, what I would notice is in the classroom, constantly on the phone, they're looking at every and anything. And you, when I say anything, y'all know what I'm talking about when I say anything, okay? <laughs> um, but... I don't know if the parents are putting these controls on them. I don't know if they're blocking stuff out. I don't know if it's just, hey, I, the number one excuse was, well, if there's an emergency, I need to be able to contact my child. Mm -hmm. Granted, there's a small percentage of a the time there's an emergency. We know you might have the bus running late. We know you might have to come pick them up by them getting on the bus. We got that. But them sitting in class on these phones, not paying attention, and then me in the situation of, hey, put your phones away, one warning. Hey, I told you the first time, put your phones away. Second warning, third time, give me your phone. What? You ain't gonna take my phone. What? You can't have my phone. No, I ain't giving this you, but you ain't taking my phone. So if it's blatant disrespect at this Ooh. point, mama, daddy, I don't care what you say. Your child is one, not listening, follow the rules. Two, blatantly disrespectful. And three, doesn't care about their education. If they're so, as you use the words, Ooh. addicted to this phone. Ooh. We're coming to school to learn, not to be on the phone. When they're at their house, be on the phone, do whatever they want. And even at that, they shouldn't be on the phone that much. But I digress. But the main thing is, at the middle school level, it's a monster. So can you talk to these phones? How Parents got to figure out something because I think it's the point where I think I read somewhere a lot of schools want to make it where you can't even bring a phone. Mm -hmm. So that alleviates the whole, well, if there's an emergency, I got to be able to get into... Well, if your child can't even deal with having the phone properly through these six, seven hours, well, then guess what? If an emergency happens, you're going to find out another way, I guess. You know, I want to say, I'm just going to throw a number out there so it's not scientific, but I want to say in the years that I've been in AP, and I've seen a lot, you see a lot when you're in AP compared when you're in the kind of classroom. I want to say that a good 85% of the students, 90, almost 90% of the students, um, they do follow the rules even if they have their phones. Wow. It's that 10% or so that make it bad for the other ones. And so... Um, I can tell you that in Hillsboro, students who do bring their phones to school, it's at their own risk. What does that mean? That basically means that if a phone is damaged, if it's stolen, if anything happens to that phone mm -hmm. other than the normal usage, the administrators and teachers are not responsible. Um, even if the teacher, and, and, and the phones can be a great tool, but even if the teacher says, you know, tomorrow we're going to do a kazoo, make sure you bring your phones, that's great. Right. Because they're, you're going to know that they're going to be engaged with that phone. They will be. I've seen it. I've done my observations. That's It's a great tool. Um, so, yes, sometimes from time to time, even the good students, we have to remind them, put the phone away. But when it becomes blatant like that, that's part of that temper. You ain't going to take my phone. <laughs> <laughs> that becomes part of the 10% the or so that, you know, may or may not have an addiction or just they're just wanting to be defiant because of whatever upbringing they have. And by the way, that's another thing that I wanted to touch upon. Even going back previous to the, the phone issue with the example I gave everything, all of this also is upbringing. Yeah. Upbringing is huge. Environment is huge. And I, I'm almost tempted to say 
and I, I, I may have to um, touch base with you a little bit later and give you some um, um, uh, resources or research, but I'm tempted to say that 50% of it is upbringing, the other 50% is the environment. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it would seem that way anyways, because I see a lot of these kids in certain homes from, you know, when you look at similarities such as socioeconomic status, uh, race, and everything. I mean, you look at all these variables, you look at their upbringing, um, and you look at the, the environment, and it's like, okay, it's either something's really wrong here, mm -hmm. and there's really very little America, or there's something absolutely wrong, and these, these are great parents, and they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Not to say that the other parents don't know, but that upbringing is so huge, because obviously, going back to what I said earlier, we're getting all these, you know, yeah. students from the home. Yeah. Yeah. So the, to finish off with the phone, the phone thing is a beast. Um, we always, at our school, we tell them, you bring your phones at your own risk. Mm -hmm. So everybody knows in the community, if something happens to your phone, we're not liable. Yeah. It's that we follow the district's policy, and if they have a problem with that, you know, parents can always go up the chain of command and even take it to the school board to see if the school board is willing to, you know, change that rule. You know what just popped in my head would be great? If they could put... Um I, I'm, I'm not sure what the right word would be because I don't think it's a firewall. But you know how you can block the internet? Mm -hmm. Because that's kind of the big part of it. It's more of them getting on the internet and the Facebook or not so well, Snapchats and you know all this and that. But um, Instagram, all that. But if the, there was a way to block out the internet within the school as far as um, them getting the feed in, you can still utilize the phone for phone calls, which is the number one reason why parents want to get a hold of them. But just in the school, if there was kind of like that lever, if you will, that you could put it on or off and block out the signal, that might really help with that whole issues of them because there's nothing for you to get on or to do if you can't access that but if you need to make that I don't know it just I guess it just well, popped in my head well you know what that's interesting you said that because as you know my wife is from Panama mm -hmm. and so I've I've done a little research and I've uh, you know I she even has some family that used to be teachers uh, they're already retired from the Panama Panamanian system mm -hmm. and here's the interesting thing is that over in Panama um, obviously they have phones and they have their same issues and everything so I think that's number one I think it's a cultural thing because over there at least from the the conversations that I've had with the teachers over there yes they have issues with the phone but it's not like that because when the teacher calls over there and they're like you know you know so and so your son daughter is not fond raising they take that phone right away they don't give that phone back yeah I mean for extended periods of uh, time okay the parents right yeah so it's it's and I'm not saying that it doesn't not here take exactly. this dummy phone <laughs> right take <laughs> Um, but what's interesting is going to your angle of pulling a lever and a filter. If you go to any bank in Panama, your phone is automatically disabled, hmm. which means you can't even make a phone call. So I don't know if they're in the IT world, if anybody's out IT, in the IT world. IT, call it on you. If, if there's a way to filter, yeah. you know, some kind of way where you can block the internet but not the actual phone signal. Right. But you can't walk, you can walk to, in, in a Panamanian back with your phone, but it's, it's, it's a dead phone. You can't right. use it. The signal's blocked. Right. Because I remember when I would be at the schools, and I know just as far as the, the computers in the schools itself, when they would do their iReady and stuff mm -hmm. like that, they 
the computer system is locked down that you can't access certain things. It's filtered. So it just seems like it would be the next best thing to help, you know, combat this serious, mm-hmm. serious issue with these phones to be able to well, create some type of dead zone. Now I'm going to come back to what you had said earlier. So if there was something like that, oh, but now we're going to take money. Here we go with the money issue again. <laughs> IT, we're calling on you. The, the whole revolving money issue, you know. Right. What's what's in the best interest? Is it really money or is it in the best interest of the student and their education? You can't, I see, I said, that's why I say you can't have both. Jason, we're 0 for 2 right now. We can't keep going on the side of the money. We have to, something for the students. <laughs> so, okay, um... I was doing some research and I was looking at some of the trends that are going on in education for um, 2019. And um, I'm going to name off what what those top trends were. And I'd like you to pick one that you'd like to speak on. Is that cool? Okay. So some of the trends that are happening um, in 2019 in education are growth mindset. Okay. um, Alternative learning environments. Okay. Technological integration. Career and technical education opportunities, whole child approach, focus on STEM and inclusion. Mm-hmm. So, with those, um, I think you kind of spoke to, not even kind of, you definitely spoke to kind of that whole child approach, mm-hmm. you know, we talked mm-hmm. about in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But what's something that you think your school in particular is tackling of these trends? Growth mindset. Growth mindset. Yeah. Not only for the students, but for the teachers also. Okay. Because um, you have teachers who have been in the system for X amount of years. And let me stop you real quick, just so the people know what growth mindset is. Sure. Um, I... What we're finding out is that a lot of kids um, don't have that same perseverance or the can-do attitude like from before. So they're kind of hitting that roadblock a lot faster. Mm-hmm. They don't think they can handle it. They don't think they can do it. They try the problem and it's, I, I'm dumb. I can't do this. I'm destined to never do math or whatever the case. So um, trying to change that growth mind, you know, that mindset, um, creating a, a, a way for them to be able to um, switch in their head just that negative thought and putting that instilling in them that they can do it's a matter of trying it's failing is okay and you'll get better that's kind of what we're speaking about to growth mindset so well and i'm going to add one more component to that and that is change and change yeah and people have a lot of um issues um with change whether it's small change or even big change for that matter um and i wanted to speak just very briefly first on the teacher side because the teachers, you know, they work for X amount of years, um, and it's not all teachers, but you always have that group of teachers that have a hard time changing, and so therefore they're not growing. Right. And so that's what we're tackling in our school is that growth mindset, because as an educator, educating and learning, it's a lifelong process. Absolutely. You know, it, it, as a matter of fact, it's not only because it's an education environment where you go into a school, educating yourself and learning is a human process, you know, in longevity. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, meaning I'm not going to stop learning because the, to- the, the time that I stop learning, you might as well just dig your own grave. Right. <laughs> you, you might as well. Right. Um, so you never stop learning. It doesn't mean that you have to be a scholar or anything, but that you're learning something new every day or that you're diving deeper into something that you may be passionate about. Yeah. Um, 
And so now on the student side, you definitely hit it with a definition. And what we're doing with the students is trying to be more motivational. And motivation is hard. Yeah. But we're trying to be motivational in the sense that we're trying to instill more positivity into the students, which is where that PBIS comes in, positive behavior intervention system. Mm -hmm. We just took a training over the summer. And so we had PBIS before, but it was just incentive-based, whereas now it's more dialogue. It's being more positive. It's more um, mental health with the counselors, if you will, if they have issues. And it doesn't necessarily have to be for the because I always tell the kids, my door's open. You may not want to come to my office because he's the assistant principal, Mr. DeRay's tough. True. But you can always, and, and I, there are some students that know that they can come to my office any day and that they can talk to me about everything. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's something that I need to report to the counselor, I because I tell them, look, this is Vegas. You're in middle school. What happens? Stay here. But it, I always tell them, if it's something that you're going to harm yourself, I can't. Right. Or if it's something that I need to help you with to seek out rights, outside resources, that's the whole point. You came to me. Yeah. Most of the time, they, they come in because they're seeking that help mm -hmm. and they want to talk to somebody they trust. Um, so we're trying to instill that into the students, especially with our population that brings all this baggage mm -hmm. and they keep more to themselves. Um, and when you have that situation that you have students that keep a lot of things inside of them, I'll tell you, last year, that was my first year here in Florida as an AP. Um, because I did, t just so that your audience knows, I did teach in Miami for six years before I moved to Georgia, mm -hmm. and then I came back down. Um, but being an AP, that was my first year here in Hillsboro, and I was just stunned to learn that they have actually have a system um, to assess a student that wants to commit suicide. And it's actually more common than anybody thinks. Wow. What do I mean by more common? We easily assess, on average, two students a week. When you look at the big picture, yeah. on average, out of all the students that we assessed, if you break it down, it was two a week. That doesn't mean that we always had two. There were some weeks that we didn't have anything, but sometimes we had three or four. Yeah, the sometimes, right. Yeah. Sometimes three or four in a day. Wow. And I mean, blatant like, yes, I'm having suicide and they have to be Baker acted, which I, I never had that. I don't even know if that exists in Georgia. I mean, granted, I worked in three counties up there, but at least at the elementary school, that didn't exist. And the yeah. time that I was at the middle school level, they never had such things unless something has changed. And it seems like they, they really have a good system to identify these students. Yeah. Um, and so that's one of the things, going back to growth mindset, that we're trying to change. You know, my thing is, is that I always tell the students, which some of them get and some of them don't, is your current situation is not your final destination. Right. So, and I think that everybody can deduct what I mean by that. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because, you know, you're poor and maybe you live in a trailer and you're so horrible, but you're getting education. Yeah. That's going to change the minute that you get that degree, if that's your choosing, or if you decide to go to a trade school or something. That's going to change because now you're looking, instead of making a minimum wage job, you're looking at making a whole lot more money. Right, right. And then there comes a whole different set of training once you start, you know, mm. changing out of your situation mm. that I, I think to speak upon too as well. And that goes back to the whole, you're always learning, constantly learning how to change your situation, go deeper into um, what it is that you're trying to obtain uh, and just continue 
continual continual growth. Mm-hmm. You know, so 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 what are we doing to to kind of sum it up? We're we're doing PBIS on a full fledged full scale where we're having more dialogue with the students. We are having encouraging teacher to do more incentives in classes inside the classrooms and then school wide as well. Um, we're doing uh, what we call uh, the gobbler dollars, or since we're uh, the. the uh, that's our mascot, mm-hmm. the Gobbler Dollar. So we do that, um, and uh, we have a behavior specialist, and then we have a specialist for teachers, oh, wow. specifically for teachers, so that every so often, and I want to say it's once a month that we're doing it, if I'm correct, we're having a special training that these, um, kind of like a coach, they're TTD, I forget the acronym, but the coach um, basically does um, some kind of a professional learning mm-hmm. for the teachers on a monthly basis. I mean, teachers for the most part always do something, but these are, these are specialized to meet our goal of that growth mindset, mm-hmm. to make sure that teachers are always, you know, try different things. Because part of the problem is teachers don't want to try new things because they're scared or they become very conservative. Not there's anything wrong with being conservative. I'm just saying you got to try new things because right. you're bringing in people from uh, kids from all different types of learning um, environment, not environments, learning backgrounds. So if you use a one size fits all, you're going to lose them. Yeah. Well, and and you know the school that we're at, they've been a C school for like the past four years, which is fine. A C satisfactory. We I can tell you right now that school should be easily a B and a maybe we might be reaching I'm being realistic it's possible but definitely a solid B mm-hmm. that is a good school but part of the problem was is that last year we didn't have that growth mindset some of the teachers in there didn't have that growth mindset some of them that were good teachers they get promoted the majority of them just left because they knew that the administrators were finally on the same page mm-hmm. um, and some of them just decided to outright leave the education profession they were done and we had a couple that retired yeah um and if the teachers are not trying something new with the diverse population that currently is nationwide i mean it's not just all white or all but no it's we're we're touching upon the fact that and and it's always been diverse i don't think it's really been talked about before yeah it's the fact that you're you're really getting diverse and and you take our school our school's big on uh we have a big um uh, Hispanic population, which means we have a lot of students that are bilingual. Some of them are monolinguals that come from other countries that we also have to tackle. No, you cannot use a one size fits all because then that's insane. Yeah, yeah. And the definition of society, as you know, is you keep trying the same thing over and over, <laughs> expecting something we can't. So we started that we brought on that coach, that specialist for the teachers, and then we're doing this PBIS tied with men- mental health. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That I really like the fact that the teachers are also getting it because like you said they're the ones who's putting that information out to the kids and if they're not engaging or you know working different angles um it's it's going to be hard for the kids to then now lean on their growth mindset to try and say okay well i can i can do this if the teacher's giving it to them the same way and they're like i can't do this you know so so absolutely um that's one of the jokes that i would always say when i would go to classes um you know and i would sub and kids would be like why do you care so much our real teacher doesn't even do this our teacher just comes in and sits and just gives us this and they don't even do nothing how come you trying to make us do work why do you care so much and i'd be like the question is why don't you <laughs> okay i'm like listen no 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 at the end of the class i'm like oh you need to be our real teacher can you be our real teacher you know one of, 
one of the classes that I took early on, they asked the question of what is teaching? Is teaching more of an art form or is it science? And for a while, I was, um, I think it's more science because once you get things down to a science, mm -hmm. but then I liked, I've always been the type that I like to evolve. I like to try new things mm -hmm. because I like taking risks. And so, you know, I've gone through the second world. I, I got it down packed. I would still try things, but I had it down packed at one point. And then I'm like, but then it becomes kind of like, so I got bored. Yeah. And so then now. Imagine it, for them. <laughs> right. Imagine for them. So then I was like, maybe it's more of an art form. And I think it's a combination, actually, of both. Yeah. Because you want to be a little bit of an entertainer, and I like to make jokes with the kids, even if they think it's corny. Yeah, yeah. I like to joke with them, you know, especially if I can tie in the lesson Absolutely. or, or, the, or the, the whatever the topic may be at hand that day. I like to make my class fun. And I know you hear a lot of educators saying, well, yeah, I like to make it fun, and that's great. Keep being corny. Keep They like it, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you, like, oh, ma'am, you're lame. Okay, yeah, but you still smile. Right, right. And that's the whole point is that they're going to remember that teacher one way or another and they're eventually going to remember that material that they need to pass because you know the standards are what they are now yeah um and it and so i it's really can you can you um can you down pack the art form and the science form combined and yeah. if you can do that and i'm not saying i'm i did it perfectly or anything i i still have a lot of learning to go but if you can somewhat do that together you've you've I say you've tackled 95, 96% of your children. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, this is some good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> so I will say I would like to give you the opportunity to share with us what do you think that we as parents need to know at middle school level that we're maybe we're just not paying attention to, uh, we need to do a better job of um, from our home perspective, um, or even just like the kids kind of are getting over on us, if you will. What can you say that we should pay attention for um, as we go forward in the, the rest of the school year or the start of the school year for those who haven't started yet? Um, well, as long as you're con continuously communicating um, with your child, um, always pay attention to any type of verbal cues that they might give you. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, you know, going back to my days um, of middle school, I sometimes just wanted my space. Mm -hmm. Okay, give them their space. Um, but know as a parent that they can't have their spaces because you also want to know, well, what are you doing at your free time? Yeah. <laughs> um, what are you doing in your space? <laughs> you know, I, I would say that the biggest thing... Who are they hanging around with? Right. Who are their friends? Because, you know, peer pressure, you know, we've, this is, you know, there are no secrets in education. So peer, who are they hanging around with? Now, just because they're hanging with a certain students doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get into a bad crowd. I would say start paying attention to when if a student starts hanging out with the wrong people and then they start getting into trouble, you really need to step in. Yeah. Um, and see really who they're you know, who they're Snapchatting with, who they're fa Facebooking with, or any of the, pick a social media. Right. <laughs> uh, that, that they're on. Who is it that they're really, and I mean, I'm talking about maybe their three or even four best friends or mm -hmm. whoever their, their little cliques are, um, because that's the number one thing that influences and drives um, teenagers. I know it did for me. Um, I always, but... 
I'm that I'm a different case, <laughs> but I can because I always wanted to hang out with the smart kids. Mm-hmm. I, I you know in my earlier years I felt that I wasn't that smart, so I, I needed to hang with the smart kids. Where it's funny, you know, like attracts like. Doesn't matter what color you are, or where you come from, or how you were raised. I like like it. So we're talking about energy here, mm-hmm. and I always see it. You you've got some of the the troublemakers that like to hang around with some of the troublemakers, and then you got that one kid that's like right on the edge. That you know he's really smart, and he has this group of friends that are smart too, and they do the right things. But then he also has some of these other friends, you know, that are going to the dark side, and right. he's like, and and believe it or not, it's it's almost like. You know, the middle class, you have, you know, you have the very rich, you have the big middle class, and then you have the the uh, the, uh, the poor. Well, it's kind of like that with these kids. You have, believe it or not, you have this group, you have this gray or this middle class of kids that are right on the edge. Mm-hmm. And they're picking and choosing their strengths as they go through sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade, mm-hmm. you know, which are crucial years, which is that's the middle school concept. Once they get to high school and beyond, and, and they form those ties not all the time but I would say a good portion of the time that's your that's your influence that's uh, how can I put it in other words there's you know I read a study that it says that um you are as far as your your we're gonna go back to money again sorry <laughs> um you are the sum of your four so if you have best friends you are the sum of your four friends influence as far as income is concerned so you know I take my four best friends and I look at what they do and how much they make Mm -hmm. and I'm like I can see how that is true yeah thinking about that I can see how that's true also I I can see how that's true I have without naming names but I have some um, friends in Georgia and I have some friends in Miami and I actually have the two extreme I have a couple friends in Georgia that are actually very well off yeah and then I have some friends down in Miami that you know okay yeah you know respectable um careers yeah and i'm like right in the middle so it's interesting that you're a combination or a sum of those friends so parents just look at who they're hanging out with what type of grades are you might not get that information because it is you know privacy laws but your child's going to tell you like oh yeah uh danny he's he's not good he makes a d or you know kelly over there he yeah she she gets straight a's yeah yeah then you have the that's where it comes into reading in between what they're saying mm-hmm. and i spoke on an episode of that too where it's kind of like pay attention to what what the clues are um, of or even what they're not saying in order to formulate what is actually going on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, you're spot on with that. Absolutely. And you, and even to, I'd say this to parents, exactly what Jason said, apply it to your own life. You know, who do you hang around? What are the influences that your kids are seeing that's hanging out with you? If you're on the phone cursing up a storm, going back and forth with your girlfriends, then your friends are probably at home, your kids are probably at school around the girls who are cursing up a storm and talking about ratchet TV, okay? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if you're talking about business and you're talking about how to to start a business or, or, or make money or get into, you know, stocks, then you, your kids probably at school talk, you know, really paying attention on how to make these numbers work so that, you know, the friends who are around them as well, who are doing things to be innovative and create things. And, you know, so apply that to yourself as well. It's not just, you know, what are they doing? Also look at yourself. 
and I, I realistically, I know that's hard for parents, especially if mom and dad are working or if it's just mom or dad for that matter, single parents. It's hard to be, you, you can't control every aspect of their mm-hmm. life. But having that communication, knowing who their friends are, you know, and and I would even go as far as every once in a while, have a little get, have let them have that little get together. Yeah. yeah, you can come to the house. I'm just gonna step back and observe. That's how you're gonna know. Yeah, yeah. That's how you're gonna know. You're gonna observe, you know, how they're interacting because they're gonna forget that they're, you know, whether it's your home or my home or who's ever home. Mm-hmm. And you you invite a lot, even if it's twenty kids. I mean, you don't want it to get out of control. But see how they're interacting and try to over overhear some of the conversations. You're gonna learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. Well, thank you so much. I hope you've gotten so much out of this show today. This was amazing. Um, I hope every parent now has something to put in their back pocket, friends to keep their eyeballs on, um, social medias to start looking at, um, you know, and just phones to now get a better handle on and so much more. But this was amazing. Jason, thank you so much for being my guest today. Did you have fun? I did. Thank you very much. I didn't, um, it wasn't too crazy? No, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> You know, it wasn't too crazy, but I I hope that, you know, your audience does get something out of this um, and that, you know, strive for the best for your child and, you know, strive to not only for your child, but for yourself as well. As you had mentioned, apply those for, for your own life. Yeah. It's a game changer. It's a game changer. And only way, and nobody's going to care as much as you do. Nobody's going to care as much as you do. So thank you so much for listening to another wonderful episode of Education Lanes. Can't wait to have you listen to us again next time. Education, education, education. Your options.